Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Burton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S. G-N. The number is 855-4-G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, that is how you get in touch with us. And we got a lot going on. Training camps are opening up. Questions are coming down. Injuries are there. The NFL season is absolutely upon us. We are going to talk to Dave Sharapin and get all of that information from him. And we have a special interview with Jack Bales, who wrote a book about 1932 and a gambling problem, maybe, a shooting, the Babe Ruth, obviously the called shot in the Cubs. And this was an interesting take. I think you guys are going to love this interview as well. But first, we got to sit down with Dave. I'm somebody that always talks about preseason games, and I say, you know what? I don't bet them. I don't like to bet them. I bet maybe one a year, if that I want to get Dave's take on it because the preseason games are, for some people, look, it's a way to make money. For other people, it's a way to just go out there and say, I need some kind of action on the game. We're going to talk about preseason, the questions, and everything else with Dave Sharapin. All right, guys, preseason football is just about upon us here, right? I mean, training camps and preseason football, all of it gets so exciting because, okay, well, the summer might be ending, but... Wait a minute, we got football here, and it kind of sneaks up on you. I'm sorry. It always just feels like, okay, March Madness, and then you get a little bit of a lull, and then all of a sudden here. And after we had the NBA championship and hockey went a little long, it feels like football snuck up on us. But I know people have to get kind of uh, excited here. They have to get, I got to have some action on a game. I'm bringing in my expert, Dave Sharapin, Las Vegas sportsbook veteran. Go check out his betting podcast, Cash Consid Show. That's behind the counter. Sports gambling, writer, host, analyst. He's doing everything. Am I a good buddy? Dave, how you doing today? Hey, Tom. Man, it's been too long. But, uh, yeah, football season is lurking. Basketball season just ended. And uh, we're getting ready for uh, what's coming. So let, let's get into uh, the preseason and, and some camp news and things like that. The first thing i got to ask you is just – one of the things that I do as a sports handicapper is I tell people and I yell at people all the time. I go, stop betting preseason games. It's the same thing with spring training. I don't like it. I'll bet maybe one, maybe it's like a half here or there. Uh, but I feel like because it is preseason, people feel forced. They, they got football on TV. They feel like, ah, if I'm going to watch it, I got to throw some money on it. What do you see from behind the counter? Is there a way to make money on preseason games? Did you watch anyone consistently do it? How about big bets on preseason games? Talk to me about the preseason approach. 
Oh, man, Tom, this has been one of the, I, I would say it's one of the sharpest markets um, that anyone could bet if you have the information. And guys used it um, consistently to build up a little bit of bankroll, you know, for the regular season. I don't recommend it. Um, and I know, you know, just booking it for years, it was uh, not the bane of our existence, but it was not always um, fun to do. Let's put it that way. It was it was very hard. And sometimes just someone has better information. I mean, you put up lines of what you think you're going to, you know, see, and then, you know, guys don't play or guys, you know, use – some teams use preseason as a way – to build momentum into the season. You know, there are coaches that really want to win. And then there are other coaches that would do away with the preseason if they could. So I, I think it's a minefield personally. I mean, looking at it, betting it, I definitely, uh, unless I really, really felt strongly or knew, thought I knew something, I would make a play on it. But for the most part, I would recommend um, enjoy it for what it is. And maybe, you know, pay attention to position battles and things like that. I know a lot of guys in the fantasy world looked at it. But as far as a betting opportunity, I know this. When you see line moves, I mean, you see line moves and things that happen in preseason that you just never see in the regular season because um, it's such a limited market. There's not as much action as we would like to think um, on the media side as far as the book. There's definitely not as much betting going on, but the betting that is going on is pretty sharp. So follow those line movements. I mean, you got to do that anyway, but you you said it great. Some coaches don't care. Some players don't care. I mean, coaches literally have uh, have said in interviews, yeah, it's an exhibition. It's a preseason game. they They just flat out don't care. Some teams actually do. They want that momentum. They love it. They go go for it. There is there any spot? I know. Look, your story time from the book is one of my favorite things, right? Is there any spot that you remember where someone really took advantage of a preseason game? Somebody had something. Somebody told you they knew something. Oh, I used to hear it all the time at the counter, Tom. A couple of years ago, someone came up to the counter um, and made a play. Um, and wanted over the limit. Now, you know, limits are low for the preseason in the books because it's you you don't have enough action to offset it. So you don't want to, you know, put yourself in a hole in August going into September if you don't have to. I mean, literally, we would treat it like let's just break even in the preseason, and then we'll we'll have our shot to to really do well in the regular season. But, like, somebody came up to the counter one time and was like, yeah, Tyrod Taylor's going to play, and he's going to, you know, prove his position, and he's got to do this, and he's going to do that. I went five dimes on the Bills. And I remember thinking, he's going to play the first series. I read the report. I saw (laughs) the press conference. And I'm like, hey, man, are you sure? I mean, yeah, you, you have to call and see if I can get five. You know, I know the limit's only two. And I was like, I, I remember calling the risk room because I was in the book at the time. And I'm like, this guy wants to bet five dimes on the bills. And we were like, well, w- w- why? I, he said, Tyrod Taylor's going to play. And the guy on the other end of the phone was like, he's only going to play the first series. I'm like, I know I didn't tell him, but I, I, I tried to mention <laughs> it to him. And he's like, yeah, just take the bet. And as fate would have it, 
he played the first series, came out, Buffalo didn't cover, and the guy was left wondering, you know, what report he read. So I've seen it backfire more often than not. Um, I just know that, like, you know, when you see, like, the first week of the preseason, it's it's up in some places, right? Every game is three or less. There might be one game that's like four. So it's a lot of guesswork on oddsmakers, uh, you know, point of view as well. So don't I, I just don't put too much stock into all this stuff because, like you said, a lot of the coaches, I mean, they just don't care. And, and they're getting more open about it. It used to be kind of secret, but now with this proliferation of gambling and more outlets and more people talking about it, I think it's just more transparent. And I think better for all of us, both book and better, but at the same time, nothing is gospel. Don't use it for that, for sure. Dave, you mentioned real quick, you, you said, you know, the limits are smaller. Explain to our listeners for that, because a lot of a lot of guys, look, we obviously know that. That's lingo that uh, it, it comes second nature to a lot, of us, a lot of us. But some people go, wait a minute, there's a limit? I, I know somebody could walk in and bet a million dollars if they wanted to. So explain to us how the <laughs> limits are smaller. So um, every sport, every market, every betting market has a limit. So like, you know, for example, if you've gone to a casino and you go to play blackjack, you can play blackjack for up to the table limit. And once it's reached, that's the limit. So if it's $500 or $1,000, that's the max you can play per hand. Same thing in a sports book. Everything has a max limit. And now with with sports books being popping up in different states and different ways of booking games, there should be a minimum limit, Tom, and there's not always. And a lot of times people get told you can't even make a bet. So um, I'm not of that school. Like if, if if we regular season, I've worked in books where we've taken up to $100,000 a game in the NFL. Um, no problem from anyone. And that's walk come up? up and bet. That's walk. Up. Wow. Yeah, that was I mean, we were doing some big things back in the day at uh, at CG. So you could come up and bet 100K on a game. But um, in the preseason, the limits are probably $2,000 a game on a side and maybe 500 on a total. You'd be lucky to get more than $1,000 on a game. Now, you can bet it again, but at that number and at that time, that's the limit. So um, every book is different. You have to check with whatever book you're, you know, you're playing at. But you're right. We do take it for granted that we talk about limits and things like that, and assume what everyone's talking about. I've had this conversation for two decades at the counter. Well, you guys have this big casino. You got the, all these lights, and you 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 won't take five thousand on a game. No, we won't. We we'll, we'll take two. You can bet it again. So if you want to, you know, the, the 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 Hall of Fame game, Dallas and Pittsburgh. It, the line's one. You want to bet Pittsburgh minus one? You can bet it for twenty two hundred to win two thousand, and we'll move it to two, and you can bet it again. Um, and, and each number. So it's not personal. I tell people that all the time. When you want to bet more, you just have to ask, and some books will work with you, and some books will tell you, no, we're taking one bet from you, and you're done. It's at the discretion of the books to set the limits. Every book is different, and you just have to know going in what it is. But that's why the preseason is lower, because there's not, not that many people to bet it. So books don't want to expose themselves for big positions if they don't have to 
on games that really don't mean anything. All right, guys. We are talking to Dave Sharapin, Las Vegas sportsbook veteran odds maker. Dave is now doing a podcast. It's a good one. You guys got to check it out. Like, share, subscribe, do it all. It's Cash Consid Show, C-O-N-S-I-D. Make sure you go check that out. Dave, before we get into this Hall of Fame game that's coming up, right? Because uh, I do have an angle I want to talk to you about that. But before we get into that, just walk me through the process of setting a line. I know you said it's difficult to set lines and they're all, you know, about three and it doesn't matter and and there's low limits. But talk to me about how do you set the line? Do you turn around and you look at the depth chart and you say, you know what, this, this team's got three good quarterbacks. They got some good backups. Uh, do you look at depth charts and you guys go, hey, you know what, uh, a couple of these guys that are going to play, they're probably better. Or do you strictly look at the names and say, you know what, their starting team's probably good. The public probably thinks their backup team is good. Truthfully, Tom, it's it's a weird process for the preseason because, I mean, you may have a guy in the room that actually does that, that looks at that stuff, but for the most part, it's who's home, who are people going to bet, put the line up and see what they do with it. Who Who's playing, you know, like Baltimore's a team that just plays every preseason. It's just Harbaugh's thing. Like, they play to win, so they're favored in the majority of their games. Um, unless you know that no one's touching the field and the other team is giving you at least a half of an effort. Um, it was, it was just a, it was a unique process. Uh, we just kind of went around the room and everybody threw a number up and, and, and we kind of came to a consensus. It was a quick process because of the limited action. So, you know, it was like, all right, uh, let's go, I mean, even like the, the second games, uh, not the Hall of Fame game, but like Washington, New England. Washington is has a lot more position battles, and, and when has Belichick ever really cared about the preseason? So you <laughs> see Washington a favorite at New England. Almost impossible, right, in the regular season. You would never see that, but that's what you see. And, like, what's interesting to me in that game is the total. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking – you know, that one's going to be super low. You're going to see all these preseason games in the low 30s. And in the regular season, you see in the 50s. So it's uh, it's usually a, a pretty good debate in the room. But it's, I, I mean, for me, it was minimal looking at um, depth charts and things like that. I, I, I wanted it to get over before it even started. I was not a preseason guy. I was a really bad example of someone – I was watching baseball. <laughs> I call me old school. I love baseball. In August, baseball, when nothing else was going on, was always my focus. So I had to kind of like, you know, pay attention because the teacher said so. But I didn't really like booking the preseason or coming up with lines at all. Uh, you know, you mentioned the low lines, man. That brings me to, to my angle for the, this Hall of Fame game. Look. The line, I mean, can you set it low enough? It's 34, 34 and a half, depending on where you're shopping, right? Last year, 24 points were scored. Year before that, 33. Four of the last five have been 34 or less. Six of the last eight have been 34 or less. There's the Steelers, uh, you know, are, are not going to put out any of their veterans. We know that. They are a, a team that is kind of led by defense anyway. Lots of backups, and we, we know the 17 game season, all of this is going on. I don't think you could set it low enough. Now, I'm not somebody to bet the preseason normally. I find a game here or there. 
But I'm looking at this. It went from 34 to 34 and a half. If this creeps up to like 35, I might take a shot. How could you possibly set it low enough here? You really can't. And it's it's one of those things that we would – so we would have these talks and be like, all right, look, which way – do we want to need this game or which way do we want to take the bets initially? And like you see it every year with the army Navy game, right? It's under every year and you can't make the number low enough and it keeps going (laughs) under, right? That's just that. So the hall of fame game, you just said it. There's a, there's a history there. It's the first game for everyone, including the officials, including everybody. And it's almost like, man, we have to play this. Um, let's get out of here and not get hurt. I mean, you just, you see it. It's bad football. I would make the number like 31 and, and dare you to bet under that, you know, because the the bad guys is what I like to refer to them, B-A-G, the guys that want to come in and play the things for the limit. They're just going to play it over because of the number. And I would rather get them on the over than the under in this game. So I think you're thinking right. I'm not advocating a play on the Hall of Fame game either, but, man, you've got to have some real intestinal fortitude to bet that game over and then watch it, you know, punt, punt, three and out, punt, uh, turnover, penalty, 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 uh, you know, and, and it's 7-7 with five minutes left, and you're hoping that they don't, you know, that it doesn't end in a tie because the line may be one or one and a half. Like, it's just – it's. It's uh, it's an ugly football game, but I think you're thinking right. It's just one of those things as as the book and as the odds makers. How low can you actually go? End in a tie. I'll take a shot at the tie. <laughs> How about zero zero? <laughs> All right, Dave. Um, I, I want to pick your brain here for a minute. Would you approach preseason uh, setting the line any different with 17 games now? Because we've heard coaches, we've heard players, we've heard the league basically say how meaningless preseason is. And now with 17 games, they're even being more cautious with their players. Like, I'm not even talking about week one. I'm talking about week two and three. They're being more cautious where they would normally go out there and you go, okay, we'll let Brady play a half. We'll let Rodgers play, you know, a little bit of half or so. We'll let Derek Carr play into the third quarter. Now, with 17 games, they're being massively cautious. Does that change the way that you would make the line? I think it should. Um you know, there used to be kind of a playbook for the preseason, right? Game one was nothing. Game two, you know, maybe somebody played a half or whatever. Game three was when the starters really played at least a full half to get some reps together. And then game four was complete, you know, just let everybody play. There's two position battles left, and that was it. Well, now it's all changed because of 17 games. Everything has to change as far as making numbers. and I mean, like season wins, um, just everything's different. I mean, you know, eight season wins used to mean a 500 season. Well, now it doesn't because there's 17 games. So you had to make season wins differently. You have to definitely think, I think, you have to change the process, I think, to, to really um, take that into account. Now we'll see how coaches that didn't treat the preseason worth anything before treat it now because they're, they were the ones especially that were cautious, the guys with veteran, you know, uh, at key position uh, on the field. They had to be very careful with their veteran players and limit their reps in preseason because if you get hurt, you're done. So, yeah, I think it definitely should 
com, and, and and it would. If I was in the room, I would be making that argument like, look, let's just really be careful with this stuff. I wouldn't be surprised to see books even take lower limits on the preseason, at least to start because of something like that and not knowing how coaches are going to react to having an extra regular season game to the preseason. I love that you mentioned uh, you know, the, the wins total. I had Josh Taylor on from CBS Pittsburgh. I know you're a Pittsburgh guy. We both love mm-hmm. the Steelers over. It's nine. Uh, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record in his career. So for them to go under, look, you see nine with a 16-game season, you go, okay, that's a fair number for Pittsburgh, right? That's a fair number. Uh, but nine means he's got to have a losing season. He's never had it. He Look, he pulled out a, a winning season or a non-losing season, I should say, with Duck Hodges, right? So... What do you think yeah. about that? I know you're a Pittsburgh guy. To me, they made a mistake there. You you got to go Tomlin to have a winning season. You have to go nine and a half or a ten. Yeah, they set the number at nine, and I'm jumping all over it. It's a weird number to make, right, because of the division, right? Cleveland, I mean, they gave everything they had to, to Kansas City and almost went to the Super Bowl. I mean, Baltimore, as good as any team in football, at least in the AFC, I think they're going to be a, a, a very, you know, challenging opponent for the Steelers. And the Bengals, believe it or not, I think, uh, you know, with Burrow, uh, I, I think that they are going to be improved. So where do you come up with the Steelers number? You have to take that into account. But I mean, honestly, Tom, like, yes, Ben has been legendary, a tremendous, tremendous I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, obviously. There's no discussion about that. But you saw how it ended for Brady in in New England. And I'm worried that this is the year that that ends up in Pittsburgh. I, I think nine is probably a good number, but would I be surprised to see the under? I would not right now. Now they got a lot of they got a lot of pieces to fix. They obviously couldn't run the football at all last year. And I don't know if you have to run the football anymore to succeed in the NFL. I used to think that that was a, a big, you know, recipe, a check mark that you had to have, but eh, I'm not so sure. I mean, you saw Tampa actually win the Super Bowl because they could run the football and didn't really ask Brady to do too much. Maybe the Steelers will completely kind of reinvent themselves and go back to that. But if they're going to ask Ben to throw the ball 40 times or more a game um, and kind of, you know, not run for his life, but he's going to be on the move a lot with that offensive line that has to be improved, I'm worried about the season win total going over. I don't think it's as easy as uh, as you guys may be looking at it. But, again, I could be wrong. I always kind of look at the Steelers a little bit more jaded, especially now that I've been in the sportsbook business for a couple of decades uh, you you remove that fan, those fan glasses more often than not, and go. Mm, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I I see what you're seeing, but I don't know that I agree. At least right now. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I'm one of those guys. I go the track record. He did duck trot. Maybe I get a push. Maybe I get a push. All right. Dave, let's take a quick timeout. We'll come on back. Now I want to ask you about uh, some of the other things around football. I want to ask you about some futures plays. You mentioned the Browns. What about the Cowboys? And is hard knocks in effect? Oh, all that and more right after this with Dave Sharapin. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? 
What are the odds? Well, guess what? We're talking football. I have Super Bowl odds, but not Super Bowl odds. What I have is division to win the Super Bowl odds. AFC East 13 to 2, the North 11 to 2, and the South 14 to 1. West the best odds, three to one. NFC East is seven to one. The North is fifteen to two. The South is five to one, and the West is fifteen to two. That is what are the odds? All right, guys, we are back here, sitting down with Dave Sharpin, Las Vegas sportsbook veteran, odds maker, and guys, go check out the podcast, Cash Consid Show. It's a betting podcast. Dave, tell us a little bit about the podcast and uh, what you're doing over there. So, yeah, it's called Cash Considerations. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. It's uh, at Cash Consid Show on Twitter. So every week we get together and basically just kind of discuss what is going on in the sports betting world. It's not heavy on picks. It's on, you know, more on discussions, educating, having fun. It's basically guys sitting in the sports book without actually sitting in the sports book, but kind of draw on all of my experiences and time behind the counter, um, both, you know, back in the day offshore and then, you know, for almost two decades in Vegas. And uh, I got one guy, Dan Newbert, he's in Philly. I got another guy, Carl Haskell, he's in Boston. So it's uh, Boston, Philly, and my Pittsburgh roots that are now in Vegas talking about basically everything and anything and uh, it's just a lot of fun. If you like being in a sports book with your boys and hanging out and talking and, and, and having back and forth discussions, that's basically what the podcast is about. I appreciate you letting me get that little plug in there. It's one of my favorite things, obviously, that I do. And I really appreciate that. Of course. All our listeners definitely want to go check that out. So let's let's move on to some of the some of the interesting things that have happened this offseason. And obviously we have lots of quarterback questions. I think every team uh, sort of has a question going into the preseason. And uh, one of the questions I have for you is we don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. We certainly don't know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. And there are lines on the game. And there have been lines on the game the entire time. Why not circle these games? Why not pull these games off the board? Why not with such complete and utter uncertainty, especially in the Watson situation, why not just say, you know what, let's wait this out? Why do the books put it up? So the the situations are different in that Houston was bad before with Watson. So how much worse can they get if he doesn't play? I think that's why those lines are up. Yes, it's a big question. And obviously if he, one, plays, two, if he plays, where is it? Those are a lot of questions that no one knows the answer to, so I don't think anyone's really placing bets or doing anything there. The one with all of the ramifications is Rodgers, and I'm surprised. I mean, I've had discussions with some guys that are, you know, still in books and, and, and you know, taking bets and going, what do you think? And they're like, well, we have to put it up, you know, and we do have those games, like, and you use the term circled. That's for back in the day when you had – you know, manual boards, you actually circled that game. I'm an old man. Race marker. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and, and you circled it, meaning that game was limited. You had, if we were taking 20000 a game, the circle games may be only five dimes, which is $5,000. So you have lower limits. Um, the thing that, uh, again, I have so many, I, I think I'm on number 
reason number 19,286 of why I'm happy I'm on the media side now and not in a risk room is the Aaron Rodgers situation. Because if he doesn't play, it impacts not just Green Bay's odds, season wins, division odds, conference odds, Super Bowl odds. It affects the whole division, let alone the entire NFC, and probably all of football if he doesn't play and where he goes. So, you know, when the speculation was that he was going to go to Denver, you saw the future price come down on Denver because people were betting it based on that. So I can't believe, I mean, it's just one of those things. You've got to have the game up, but, man, you're kind of like every day waiting for that shoe to drop. Hey, did you hear what he said? Hey, did you hear what they said? And you, it, it's a situation that has to be monitored all the time because one you know, as soon as somebody finds out, you're going to know. So there's like they play uh, – Green Bay plays at New Orleans in week one. And there's only a couple books with lines up. It's New Orleans minus three at most places. I see a couple two-and-a-halves. But the places that don't have it up, I don't blame them at all because why have it up if you don't know if he's going to play? He's that – he's obviously he's the NFL MVP. He's that guy. So you can't – it's not just another guy. It's not just a quarterback question. It's Aaron Rodgers. So I think, again, you're all over it, but um, I know that I'm glad that I don't have to sit there and kind of wait, you know, every day for that news because, like, I'll never forget when I was in the room the day that um, um, the guy retired for, for the Colts. What was his name? Um, Peyton Man. Andrew Luck. Oh, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck retired. Nobody knew. He just walked in and said he was done. Well, that the season wins. The the bet started like someone tried to bet ten thousand on the Colts season wins under <laughs> right before the announcement. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait. Why is somebody in August betting this right now? Well, Andrew Luck's retired. Whoa, okay, we got to adjust that. That that moved the season wins from like ten and a half to seven and a half. It, 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 we had to move it immediately. So it was a big drop-off. That's the kind of thing you got to worry about with Green Bay. What about season buzz, right? Things that, that are, sound funny, and I teased this right before you know we were talking earlier, but sound funny, but you know what? It's true. Hard knocks is something that every year we know. There's the hard knocks curse, right? But every year people <laughs> watch it, they go, wow. This team's great, right? I mean, every year I see it in fantasy. Oh, this is going to be the big breakout. Yeah, guys cut like three weeks later, right? I mean, you see it all the time. So this year, the most buzzed team that I think that we've had all offseason, I know the, the Rogers stuff, the Watson stuff, but everyone's been talking about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott and Dak's contract and Dak coming back, and now it's Zeke, and oh, here we go, and it's, it's the Cowboys. They're the Cowboys. Now they're going to be on hard knocks. How much do you guys look at that and go, the buzz is going to be there. Maybe we should jack this up a half year here or there. Oh, man, we all watched Hard Knocks. You know, that was always fun to come in the next day and say, oh, what do you think? What do you think now? You know, um, and be able to watch people bet based on what they saw in Hard Knocks. It's a real thing. I mean, it's not overwhelming, but it is a factor. And I don't think anyone that I've ever worked with moved anything based on anything they saw on hard knocks, but I know people bet it because of what they saw on hard knocks. So yeah, it is, uh, it's, 
<laughs> it's one of those things that you're like, oh boy, you were thinking about betting Dallas to win the division, and they're on hard knocks. Oh boy, I I I I I don't know if I would do that. You know, uh, you you have to keep that in mind. So yeah, Dallas is the buzz team. They always are though. They're 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 one of the top three teams every single year, Tom, here in Vegas. That gets the most tickets to win the Super Bowl. They get the most tickets to win the conference. It's between like them and the Bears. The Bears are every single year top three, no matter what, no matter who their quarterback's going to be. Um, you know, it, it's it's bet the Bears to win the Super Bowl. So hard knocks is a thing, um, and I think it will only create that buzz up. I would tread cautiously on those Dallas futures. What's your thoughts on the Browns? You mentioned them. I kind of like their over. I think I think it's a little bit low. What about um, the New England uh, Patriots? They're kind of low. And can they set Tampa Bay at a right number? It's 11. 11. I, I mean, <laughs> do we really think that Tampa Bay without Ross? I, I went through their schedule. I got a hard time finding three losses. So what about that? Pats, Tampa, Browns. What's your thoughts? Yeah, so... Uh... The Pats, I think, are back on the upswing. I, I, I just think that, you know, everybody took their shots against New England last year. And season wins, I've seen, what, nine, nine and a half. You figure them to be over 500 in that division. But again, you get back-to-back, you know, losing seasons from, from Bill Belichick. I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know. Um, Cleveland's on the upswing. Um making this season win total 10 and a half, 11. Wow. 10. I don't know. I mean, if you, how do they not go? What's it now? 10 and seven, uh, 17 games. It looks, that looks like that has to be the minimum. I always try to look at the bottom when I look at win totals, like how low can this go? How bad could this go? And that's kind of how you had to set the number because you're always one injury away and, and, you know, one maybe or two positions from going bad, and then boom, you're done. Tampa, listen, I was in the room all of last year taking bets on Tampa to win the Super Bowl. We came back from the pandemic. We were just – we opened up in Tampa. Number drop, drop, drop. Oh, Brady's going there. Okay, well, then drop, drop, drop more. And I wasn't a believer even halfway through the season. I'm like, this team's not going to win the Super Bowl. And then – Whatever clicked, clicked, they, you know, turned that corner and they were unstoppable. Making a season win total with 17 games with Tampa Bay and knowing that everybody's going to bet it over, how high can you make it? Um, Can you put a 12 up there? Because you're right. When you go through the schedule, I think I see four losses, you know, maybe. So, uh I don't know, man. I, I, I think Tampa's going to be in the NFC Championship for sure, barring an injury to Brady. They're just that good. They brought everybody back. He's re- been rejuvenated. Arians has that air of, like, I don't care. We're doing our thing here. You guys come, you know, and change your game plan for us. We don't change it for anybody. They're just that good. And sometimes, you know, as an odds maker and as a book, you have to acknowledge that. And you have to acknowledge that that's the way people are going to bet. So. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying it, but I would bet over on Tampa way. I wouldn't even consider betting out there. I am so with you, man. I'm I'm going, you know, I, it's the hook thing, right? Because I see some places have 11 and a half. I'm looking at 11. I'm going, 
that they may not win 12, but they're also not losing another, you know, they're not losing seven. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it would take right. seven for me to lose my bet. I might push, but I'm not losing this bet. Um, yeah, Tampa's schedule is just amazing. Dave, it has been absolutely fantastic. You were very generous with your time. Guys, go check him out. Las Vegas Sportsbook Veteran. You get good stuff on the podcast. Make sure you guys go check it out. Dave, thank you for everything. Guys, that's Dave Sharapin. And, you know, it is funny. When you talk to somebody like that and, and he knows his stuff about the futures, uh, I'm a big futures bet player, and I do the same thing that he does. I don't necessarily have to sit back and say, okay, I think this team is going to win 12 games. I'm sitting back and going, they're not losing seven, right? That's kind of where I'm looking at. And I threw a, a couple out there, you know, between the Pats and the Browns and, and uh, Tampa. All three teams, I like the over. Now, the Pats, I'm on the cusp. I got to watch the quarterback battle. I have to see who, who it is. I like Mac Jones, but I don't feel comfortable with him early in the season. So I got to watch that. But the Browns, if you get that number where I think you can get it, and absolutely Tampa. Look down the Tampa schedule. You know, Dave just said he sees maybe four losses. I'm looking at it and saying maybe three. I mean, this is a team that legitimately, if this was a 16-game season, I think we would have betting numbers that they go undefeated. Because it's 17, I haven't seen any of those. But I think we would have a prop play out there. From one of the books, a few of the books probably, will the New England Patriots go undefeated? Because I believe that their schedule is that light. They got two or three key matchups. You got to figure they're going to come out with at least one of them. Maybe they get one stumble along the way. Maybe Dave's right, four losses. It's nowhere near seven. They're not losing seven, guys. So that is a free play there for you. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. Bet to the future. Well, guys, the NBA draft is just about upon us. And is there any doubt anymore? I mean, the number one overall pick, we kind of know. Cade Cunningham, minus 5,000 to be the number one overall pick. Jalen Green, minus 150 to be the number two pick. Evan Mobley, minus 140 to be the number three pick. And Jalen Suggs, minus 150 to be the number four pick. Yeah, look, guys, Kate Cunningham's going number one. That doesn't mean you can't make some more money when you bet to the future. Next, we have an author on with us, Jack Bells. Another book, and there is so much infatuation with with the 1932 World Series from so many spectrums. And we've had people that on before that have talked about it many times. Uh, Babe Ruth historians, obviously the cold shot and everything else. Jack Bales wrote a book. Guys, go check it out. The Chicago Cub, Shot for Love, A Showgirl's Crime of Passion, and the 1932 World Series. I want to talk to Jack about this and kind of dig in because there's so many fascinating different layers to this. So, Jack, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, Jack, it, you know, your book begins with, you know, the Cubs were a long shot, how only three of 57 baseball authorities picked the Cubs to win the pennant. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because in the annals of sports betting, you know, people always talk about, you talk about the Jets, you know, the 69 Jets, you talk about this, you talk, baseball seems to be forgotten because you have so much time to sort of adapt to a team becoming good. That Cubs, that year, 
That was an absolute upset. That I don't have the odds on it from 1932, and I tried to look at it. I did, I did my research. No, nobody goes back that far. But try to tell me exactly how far down they were that nobody really liked the Cubs back then. Well, off the top of my head, Tom, I can't remember how far back they were, but they were never given a good shot. They were down quite a few games, and then by the summertime, things started popping up. They started getting more players. The players started to gel. Uh, Billy Jurgis, the, the hero of my story, he was a shortstop, and he started to do really well. But they were still only they were still like four or five games out of out of first place and 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 no one really thought they'd do much about it and i think what really would really help them out was when they got rid of rogers hornsby and brought in charlie grimm because charlie grimm just kept them really really loose and uh you know they, they didn't call him uh, jolly charlie for nothing as a matter of fact so and i think that's what really did it but uh as you pointed out very few baseball players thought they would do very well. No, they did really well in 1929, and uh, and, and that was about it. Well, you mentioned Rogers Hornsby, and uh, the interesting uh, aspect there is that was the whole gambling scandal, and people don't even oh, realize, yeah. right? You know, you got know. Pete Rose, you got you Shoeless know. Joe. Tell us about Rogers Hornsby's gambling. Yeah, see, Rogers Hornsby was uh, was probably the one of the greatest uh, uh, hitters of all time, and, and, and uh, 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 William Wrigley brought him in to, to play for the Cubs, uh, and uh, a lot of people didn't particularly care for that because they knew what an uh, irascible person he actually was. But he was, a, he was a superb player, but he really expected everybody else to be superb too. And, and he was very taciturn, uh, very surly, would not really talk to his players and show them anything. But, uh, and he also had a secret vice. He gambled a lot, and, and that was a big scandal of 1930, uh, 1932, the – the Chicago Daily Tribune wrote about the 1932 Cup. Uh, never before was a team beset with more irritating experiences apart from the playing of baseball. And, and Hornsby was, was one of these. He gambled, but on top of that, he borrowed money from the players to support his gambling habit. And that's, and that's when all, all heck broke, broke loose when that finally came about. Uh, William Beck Sr., he claimed he didn't know anything about it when he fired Hornsby on August 2nd. But the two of them, the president, William Beck, Bill Beck's father, and, and Hornsby, they did not. They got along like oil and water, so to speak. And in fact, one time Hornsby told uh, William Beck, if you don't like the way I'm managing, go hire somebody else. So tell us about, uh, about the book. Why did you write it? What kind of brought it about? Uh, we've had people on 1932 before, but this is a, a unique story. Okay, uh, I grew up in in, in the Chicago area, and, and I followed the Cubs, uh, Cubs uh, throughout my throughout my life. Not 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 a particularly avid fan, but I but I enjoyed watching them. I was something of a fan anyway. I've always been something of a researcher and writer too, and I, I've written quite a bit about on literary topics. And after I finished one project, I thought, well, you know, let me let's try something for fun here. And so I thought about the Cubs. And, and I wanted to tackle something that really hadn't been done before, and I, and I did a project on the, the early Cubs in the 19th century because very little had been done on that. And while reading Cubs history, I came across this shooting of, of shortstop Billy Jurgis 
It's by his spurned lover, a former showgirl. I thought, well, this is really, this is really something. And, and no one had really explored this before. And, and so I started burying myself in the, in the newspapers. I interviewed the Jurgis family. I interviewed Popovich's family. Her, her name is Violet Popovich. And I interviewed uh, her family. And it all started coming together. And I realized, you know, that, that this is a great story. And as you said, there are so many layers of built on top of that because, uh, you know, she shot she shot Billy. Billy got laid out. They, the Hornsby was fired. They brought somebody in to replace him. Uh, Mark Koenig, a former Yankee, uh, they didn't. Uh, the Cubs did not vote him a full share of the World Series monies. The Yankees got mad about that, and they trounced the Cubs in four uh, in uh, 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 six games in the World Series. And on top of that, Babe Ruth allegedly pointed to center field with a call shot. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get any crazier than that. You say allegedly. I've said it my whole, my whole career, right? Uh, the legend is good. He, he, he was pointed. He said exactly where he was going to hit it. Uh, <laughs> right, th- yeah. Throughout your research, Jack, what have you found out about the cold shot? What, what is your okay. opinion? I do not think he pointed for a number of reasons, one of which is that, uh, uh, and I didn't I know this and did this research that the opinions do not fall along partisan lines. I, I found players who said that he did point, and I found Yankees players who said he did not. But, but, but you know, Charlie Root, the pitcher Charlie Root, was really a tough guy. You know, he had no problem in plunking people. And he said, quote, anybody who knows me knows that if Babe Ruth had pointed to center field, I would have knocked him on his ass. And, and I believe him. And also, Babe Ruth admitted, I think it was in 1938, that uh, he said something like, uh, you think I would have actually pointed to center field with a barracuda like Ruth on the mound? With next pitch, they'd be picking that ball out of my ears with a pair of tweezers. Uh, and a lot of the the, the, the Yankees on that team, um, I know one of the obituary, one of them, and he admitted, you know, before he died, they said, well, we all knew that it didn't happen, but we we knew it was a great story, and we decided to keep quiet. And I remember I had an interview with Joe McCarthy, manager Joe McCarthy, and he said the same thing. But, you know, who knows, though? Who knows uh, what actually happened? Uh you know, Commissioner Landis, you know, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, his, uh, his, his grandnephew was a student of mine here where, where, where I've been a librarian. And he and I got into a discussion because his father was at that game. And he swears it did point to it, uh, point to center field. But I think it also depends on the angle of the uh, angle of the view and where you were sitting in the bleachers at that time. Uh, one person I know whose father was there, he, his father was there, and he was sitting on the third baseline, he saw one thing, and uh, his priest was there, and he was sitting on another, another side of Wrigley Field, and he saw something else, as my friend said, you know, who do you believe, your father or your priest? <laughs> All right, guys, that's Jack Bales. Go check out the book, Jack, thank you so much. It's the Chicago Cub shot for love, a showgirl's crime of passion in the 1932 World Series. Interesting story where, you know, somebody got shot. It happened again in 1949. There are lots of layers to this book. So go check it out. It's Jack Bales, the Chicago Cub. Um, I, I think the infatuation that we as a sports society, as a baseball society have with 1932 and all that goes into it, you know, we've had quite a few authors on about it now because there is a lot of layers to 1932. And I wanted to bring Jack on, especially because the gambling aspect and the fact that the Cubs were such an underdog, people forget that. 
it slips through the cracks when you're talking about all the exterior things. Well, Ruth pointing and someone was shot and all this other. It slips through the cracks that it was one of the biggest upsets in baseball history up until that point. And really, if you go into the 50s and 60s, it was still one of the biggest upsets that the Cubs actually won. Now, they wound up losing, and oftentimes the losers are forgotten. But that was a a moment of a big upset um, and kind of cool storylines surrounding it. Not always good, obviously, like Jack's book points out. But cool storylines surrounding it. Maybe I'm just a mark for, you know what, Babe Ruth pointing. I say he did point. I think Jack is just a Chicago Cubs fan. (laughs) That's what I say. All right, guys. Hey, what a show, man. I'll tell you, I loved sitting around talking to Dave Sharapin. And there's something magical about that year in Major League Baseball, isn't it? So thank you again, Dave Sharapin. Always great to have you on. And Jack Bales, go check out the book. Guys, I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back. And you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.